0: Good morning. This is Tommy Ray. You are listening to Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Today is January 17, 2023. I regret that it has been so long since publishing the last episode. My wife and I took a vacation and went on a cruise. Wow. Talk about water. I love my mountain stream, but that kind of water scares me. If you fell off the boat, you would be a goner. At least our coastal cities might be able to make use of reverse osmosis to convert some of that water to potable use. Of course, that takes a lot of energy, but I am optimistic. With the advances being made in fusion, reverse osmosis may someday play a larger role in our country's water future. That's still a long way off. Even with reverse osmosis, we will continue to have problems throughout the West. I remain fascinated with water issues in our part of the world. I had hoped to interview Becky Mitchell this week. She is Colorado's representative on the Colorado River compact negotiations that are ongoing. She told me they are still in the thick and heavy of negotiations, and she would prefer to wait until negotiations were finalized. She is in a sensitive position and cannot and should not be making public comments about those negotiations until they are finalized. As soon as the negotiations are inked, I want to ask her lots of questions like, were Indian tribes included? How much water can Colorado keep? Will Lake Powell and Lake Mead limit withdrawals? I would like to be a fly on the wall in the negotiating rooms. Hopefully, Becky will be able to fill us in next month. Let's follow up with a YouTube video on water in the Western US mentioned in the previous episode. I hope you were able to watch it. It is as clear as the nose on your face that agriculture is the biggest user of water and produces proportionally much less to the Western state's GDP. Remember that ag consumes 85% of our water and produces 10% of the wealth of our state. Let's think about that just a little. Let's use some hypothetical numbers to give everyone a feel for water use and its importance to our economy. Suppose our Colorado's GDP is $1 million. Let's suppose our state consumes 1,000 acre-feet of water. In our hypothetical case, agriculture would use 850 acre-feet to produce $100,000 worth of product. So then, one acre foot of ag water would produce $117 worth of product. That's $100,000 divided by 850. Cities and industries then would use the remaining 150 acre feet to produce $900,000 worth of product or one acre foot of water will produce $6,000 worth of product. That's 900,000 divided by 150. Of course, these are relative numbers, but it tells me that water is worth 6,000 divided by 117 or 51 times more for use in our cities and industries than it is in agriculture. That's crazy. Again, all of this is relative, but when you are talking about big social questions, you have to look at relative costs and benefits. It's like if you had $100 to invest, would you put that in a company that would give you back $117 or one that would give you back 6,000? When you look at it like that, the answer is obvious. Why are we continuing to invest our valuable water assets into such a low-return type of venture? But we do it over and over and over. Time to do something else. We should be studying hard how to move our most basic ag needs to parts of our country that have dependable rainfall. That is east of the 100th meridian. From central Nebraska east, they don't usually have to irrigate. And if they do, they have plenty of water in the rivers to pull from. Yes, I know. Such talk of limiting agriculture in the desert is heresy. But we must begin somewhere. And frankly, I'm not sure we should be spending billions of our tax dollars to pay for farmers to fallow their fields. Are they planning to rip off the federal government, our tax dollars? Yes, farmers in the Imperial Valley and the area around Yuma, Arizona, were irrigating out of the Colorado for a couple of decades before Lake Powell and Lake Mead were constructed. And those farmers may have been able to get one or two harvests from their hay fields before the river essentially ran dry toward the end of the summer. They certainly didn't irrigate year-round like they do today. And why can they irrigate year-round today? Because California, Arizona, and Nevada have two huge reservoirs that they can pull water from when they want. And who built those two huge reservoirs? We did. The U.S. taxpayers. It seems to me we gave the farmers a huge boost in their equity in their farms. They have been benefiting from our investment. Yes, We wanted the area to grow and provide jobs. But now the farmers find themselves hurting for water. And they expect us, the U.S. taxpayers, to pay them not to use water that we provide for them. That seems nonsensical. I know my suggestions will make some farmers' blood boil. And farmers in the Imperial Valley have suggested that the government pay them $1,500 per acre per year to fallow their fields. What? Again, this does not sound like something we should be doing. That seems to be the same as buying desert ground for roughly $15,000 an acre, and then in 10 years the government gets to buy that desert ground again for $15,000 an acre. If a farmer owns 200 acres, he would receive $300,000 per year. Again, that's like selling 200 acres of desert for $3 million and then getting to sell it again in 10 years for another $3 million. Man, that's something I'd like to do. I don't understand the economics of farming, but when Northern New Mexico offered farmers 250 an acre two years ago to fallow their fields, few took the offer. But last year when New Mexico offered farmers 450 an acre, a bunch took the offer. So why are Californians asking the government for 1,500 an acre? that seems way out of line, just saying. If you watch the YouTube video on water use in the West, you know that enough water is used to grow cattle feed in the desert that could satisfy our city's needs. And much of that cattle feed is being exported. We are essentially shipping valuable desert water To foreign countries. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't to me. Times change. Problems arise. And we have to be smart enough to know we can't continue to do the same old thing and hope things will get better. They won't. Our water future is clearly moving in the wrong direction. Thankfully, at least our legislature in Colorado is waking up to the importance of water. Here's what the Denver Post reported on January 5, 2023. Colorado's top lawmakers spared no superlative in describing the need to address the state's water crisis at the annual pre-legislative breakfast The annual business legislative preview hosted by the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce serves an unofficial start to the legislative session. While crime, housing, and decarbonization were all discussed, it was water that incoming Speaker of the House, Julie McCluskey, said would be the centerpiece of the legislative agenda. Hooray for Julie McCluskey. Senate Majority Leader Dominic Moreno joined McCluskey on the Democratic side of the panel, and incoming Senate Minority Leader Paul Lundine and House Minority Leader Mike Lynch represented the Republican side. Each side noted the political reality of the upcoming legislative session. Each side underscored the importance of water and the desire to be part of the conversation. They also noted the complexity of laws governing the resource, other states' rights, and over-slurping of water. And they know they understand little about the complexities of water. That's one of the problems. How can you go about fixing something if you know nothing about it, here's a quote of note. For almost all of us up here, and quite frankly, probably most of you folks in the room, this is an issue we don't have the depth of knowledge we ought to have, Lundine said. Water is critical. It's not only critical today, but it is critical to the future of Colorado that our children and grandchildren will live in. He warned of the state's parched future if something isn't done to secure water and pledged his caucus's engagement on the issue. Lynch, likewise, said water will dictate the future of this state. Each emphasized the need for new reservoirs to store water before it flows out of state. Lynch specifically praised the recently approved Northern Integrated Supply Project, NISP, which will build two new reservoirs in northern Colorado that will hold a combined estimate of more than 215,000 acre-feet of water. Little do they seem to know that NISP may not be built because they don't have an agreement yet. After 22 years of permitting with the Larimer and Weld Irrigating Company to use its ditch to effect the exchange NISP needs to accomplish, Someone needs to explain this to them. I'll try, but may not get an audience. McCluskey said it'll be on lawmakers and policy setters to leverage federal dollars for the Colorado water plan and prevent the direst predictions from coming true. Yep, and I wanna talk to them about how the state water plan bends over backward to protect agriculture and says little about water use in the cities. Water is the conversation. It will be the centerpiece of our agenda this year, if for no other reason than that Colorado has to be seen as a leader in this space, McCluskey said. We know that for far too long, the lower basin states have exceeded their use and the amount of water we have available to supply the western half of the United States. While she didn't explicitly call for more storage, McCluskey said after the panel that more storage is off the table, but it will be part of a broader conversation. She predicted efforts around water will be the most challenging work the state has ever done. We need to have conversations that are difficult, whether it's around usage, whether it's around next steps in conservation, or tactics that communities have to embrace to protect our resources, McCluskey said. State Senator Rachel Zinzinger, who leads the powerful Joint Budget Committee, said she's heard requests that include the attorney general asking for money to hire lawyers that specialize in water in anticipation of legal fights, money for conservation efforts, and burn scar rehabilitation to protect water quality from the soot and debris left by wildfires. So now we know where the legislature is headed. More money on lawyers to do studies on the same old thing. When are they going to say, wait a minute, agriculture is the big consumer of water. Let's work on moving some of that water from ag to the cities. But it's got an ugly name, buy and dry. Why are we so afraid of buy and dry? My suggestions are fairly simple. Task the state engineer with studying front-range watersheds. The state engineer, that's the Division of Water Resources, can figure out which watersheds produce significant amount of water with the fewest impact to the agricultural industry. The state can then encourage buy-and-dry within that particular watershed. The state could encourage or allow cities, developers, and yes, even investors to buy up farms within that watershed with the intent to later move the water to cities along the front range. Once that watershed would identify, I promise you, that water prices paid to farmers would skyrocket in that watershed. That would encourage more farmers to agree to sell. But no one will force the farmers to sell. It would still be their choice to do with their property right what they want. A further inducement could be tax breaks to farmers that sell. Such an approach would encourage a planned way to get more water to our cities, the true source of growth of our state. And remember, if only 15% of water is transferred off agriculture, farmers would still be using 70 plus percent of the water in our state. Sounds like a good trade-off to me. And that would double the city's supplies. Another thing the legislature could do is get rid of the 1041 regulations. We need to remove this barrier from cities being able to legally buy and move water around to benefit most citizens of our state. We have created an inter-county battleground that should not exist under 1041 a county can stop projects that are of state interest. And finally, the legislature should ask the state to resurrect the two Forks Reservoir plans and begin the application process again. Yes, it was denied a permit by EPA 35 years ago. But I keep saying things change over time. Denial of two forks was a political decision made at the Washington DC level. Now maybe with the Colorado River drying up, there will be a re-evaluation of the environmental costs to the social benefit. We need it. Let's resurrect it. And at the national level, we need to put a limit on how long it takes to permit water projects. Sure, we need to study the environmental impacts and choose the alternative that has the least amount of impact to the environment. But 22 years, come on, limit the study and review process to something reasonable, like five years. Then force a decision and prevent Delaying lawsuits. If we're going to solve some of our problems, we need to start removing obstacles. I really do plan to talk to some legislators that are interested in water issues. I've harped on it enough, and it's time for me to take action. I hope you feel the same. Let your voice be heard. Don't be afraid. Of course, I'm saying this with bravado, knowing full well that I may be getting in over my head. I hope you'll come rescue me when I cry out for help. In the interim, I will continue to retreat to my mountain stream for solace. Come join me. See you next time.